We're back, Joe. Episode 68. We've taken a little bit of a break, but we are back. We got a great episode on tap. Cole Thompson joins us to talk some college football, bowl season, little NFL as well. And, uh, you know, month of December starting, college hoops getting in full swing, NFL, once they say Thanksgiving hits, that's when the games start to get important. And then, of course, the college football playoff, all the bowl games. So very exciting stuff, Joe. Unfortunately, baseball's in a lockout. We kind of figure that would happen. Speaking of baseball, shout out to our guy, Tim Kirchin, who was elected to the Hall of Fame today. Well-deserved. Tim, obviously, is the best. And uh, we're glad that he has been on our show a couple times. So congrats to, to Tim. I mean, there's just nobody better. So very exciting stuff, Tim. Joe. He was number one been? and number 50 for us, so. That's true. That's true. How you been? Everything good? All good. All good. Can't complain. Got my second shot yesterday. So our third shot yesterday. So I feel like crap. So this will be. Is it uh, hitting you pretty hard? Oh yeah. I'm exhausted. This is going to be you (laughs) carrying the load here uh, and me and me chiming in and just kind of mellowing out here. So that's good. This is good. Boy, get to keep Joe quiet. You should get a shot every (laughs) week. I'm liking that. Uh, All right, Joe. Well, we talked to, uh, well, you know what? Let's just go straight to the interview like we always do. Hear from uh, Cole Thompson and what he has to say. Pleased to be welcomed back to the pod by the host of Just Saying It, Cole Thompson. Cole, great to see you again, sir. Uh, college football regular season all wrapped up, which means bowl season is upon us. The college football playoff is set, Alabama, Cincinnati, and Michigan and Georgia. Which of those two games? would you say intrigues you more? Oh, all the way. It's Michigan and Georgia. I mean, when you just look at the way that these two teams battled it out throughout the entire season, you can make a valid argument that each of them deserve to be the number one seed. I mean, I understand that Alabama has Georgia's number. I mean, Kirby Smart is 0-4 all-time against Nick Saban, but look at the way and the consistency that they played throughout the entire year with Stetson Bennett as their quarterback. I mean, the way they were on the ground, the way they were able to use the tight ends to their advantage to mismatch linebackers, the way that they were able to avoid pressure left and right, and then flip the switch and look at what Michigan does so well. They went and they got a defensive-minded coach from the uh, NFL level, brought him into college as their new defense coordinator to replace Don Brown, and they got more younger. They got more fast. They found a way to become a little bit more efficient in the pass rushing aspect, and it's not just Aiden Hutchinson. Everyone also forgets about David Ajobo, who was a really good complementary linebacker, defensive end on the opposite side. So to be able to have both of them closing the gaps on Stetson Bennett, JT Daniels with James Cook, Zamir White in the backfield. And then you have a really decent secondary to be able to cover guys like uh, Brock Bowers, uh, uh, Ladd McCorkey. And then you're going to have George Pickett's back more than likely almost fully healthy at that point. There is a lot of interest in this game. And it's going to be really intriguing to see how Georgia responds because of they really haven't faced that much adversity all year. Their toughest game was against Arkansas, who they beat 37-0. I mean, for them to be able to go up against a Big Ten team, and I know that people say, oh, well, you know, it's just the SEC and everyone else. No, I mean, the Big Ten East is a very challenging conference, and it's going to start being that way with Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan, Penn State. I mean, there's a lot of talent inside of the Big Ten that nobody is talking about. I like Cincinnati. I love Luke Fickle. I love the storyline. And without John Mechie playing in that game, it's going to be really interesting to see Sauce Gardner against Jamison Williams. This is going to be a matchup that you see on Sundays that scouts Mm. are going to be salivating over. I mean, I've talked to two scouts already, and they're just like, dude, the sheer fact that we get to go watch these two 
probably top 40 picks that eventually will probably be standouts at the next level go up against each other. It's fantastic, but there is a level of competition between these two schools overall. I think most people understand that. It's a great compliment to what Luke Fickle has done at the university, but you look at what, uh, what Michigan is, you look at what Georgia is, there's a valid point that the two ways that they play their, their their best ball, one defensively, one offensively, and the way that both of them know how to run the football and pound that rock is definitely going to be something that you want to keep a close eye on. Do you, um, Will Anderson or uh, Aiden Hutchinson, which would you say is the better pro prospect at the next level? I think it's Will Anderson, but again, it's one of those things where I'm not really going to complain if I get either one of them. I really want to complain if I got David Ajobo for that matter. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of talent at the pass rushing position over the next two years, but I talked to a scout and they said that they call him Wolverine Watt because of the way that he plays his football game is very similar to what TJ and JJ have done. The way that I've studied this film, I call him Wolverine Bosa. I mean, it's kind of the exact same thing because of I think he reminds me so much of Nick Bosa, the way he can close the gap, his speed, his size, his agility, his vision. Those are things that you can't teach, but uh, Will Anderson is just a, is just come from a different cloth. I mean, we've, we've talked about this for years and years and years about who is the greatest Alabama player of all time. There's been a bunch of names. They're not the one that I keep hearing the most is Derek Thomas. I, I mean, we just hear about Derek Thomas left yeah. and right and the production that he's been able to put up for years and how his legacy has been built inside of Bryant Denny stadium inside Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Will Anderson just knocked his record out of the freaking park. I mean, like if you go ahead and talk about that, that, that like that's alone something to be brought up. And, and I have a big problem with the way that the college football playoff committee and the Heisman Trophy committee did not consider that. At the end of the day, we all know who's winning the dang thing. It's always an offensive driven award. It's going to go to the other Alabama kid. Bryce Young is a fantastic quarterback. The way that he handled himself underneath adversity going up against the number one team against Georgia inside of a neutral location is great for him. But in my opinion, this was the year where you send three defensive players. There were not that many players offensively who made as much of an impact as Aiden Hutchinson did for the likes of Michigan's defense. Will Anderson did for the likes of Alabama's defense and Jordan Davis for the nose tackle and the disruptive play that he had. It was art. I mean, literally the only way I can describe it is pure art. You watch that. It is football porn to those fans. The way he was able to come in on third down and just go, nah, bro, you ain't going anywhere. Mm -mm. I mean, the, the, they average, I think teams average less than two yards per play when they ran into his direction. So That's when crazy. you have a player like that, I mean, th to me, those were the three that you had to bring in. I I, I love Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett's my boy. I, I will actually go to war for anybody who actually backlashes Kenny Pickett. <laughs> I love Kenneth Walker. I love CJ Stroud. This was the year where you sent three defensive players and then gave the dang award to Bryce Young to make everyone happy. All right, so we danced around it a little bit, but uh, which team do you think has a better chance at pulling the upset, either Michigan or Cincy? And then just as you start running with that, give us your kind of filled-in bracket for the Final Four. You know, I, I, I don't think Cincinnati has a good shot, but what I will say is if you eliminate Jamison Williams and take him completely out of the game, you at least are going to stay competitive. Like, that's going to be the biggest thing is that when you look at what Jamison Williams brings with size, speed, agility, open field, vision, route running, all those little things, well – Across the way is a quarterback who has been graded out as the number one defensive back inside of college football for the last two years. And Sauce Gardner has not allowed a touchdown in, I think it's now 17 games. So if you eliminate the deep threat, you at least have an opportunity. 
The biggest question I will have will be if my Jay Sanders, and I'm blanking on the other guy's name who runs the outside linebacker for that defense as well, if they can add pressure against Evan Neal and Chris Owens or whoever's going to be playing that right tackle spot, if they can go ahead and do that better than what Georgia did, and there's very few defensive lines as talented as Georgia, if they can go ahead and have that happen, I think that maybe you'd be able to see this go down to beating the spread. I just don't see the level of competition, the level of talent being able to match up completely. It's very Notre Dame-like, and that's not an insult to that's more so just the reality that when you look at recruiting, you're still building up the repertoire. I mean, Alabama is going into this year, have an opportunity to be the number one class. Once again, Cincinnati finally makes the jump into the top 25 in recruiting. And we all know that even though it's kind of a, you know, boring kind of, or just like a long-term process, if you don't know what happens, you, you do win football games by getting the best recruits to come to your program long-term. But I actually don't view Michigan as an upset win. I just view it as a really good game. I mean, the way that they've played, especially running the football, if they're able to do that, and Cade McNamara, who is the best way I can put it is he's even, he's like what Mac Jones was against the Buffalo Bills. Like you ask him to throw like 10 times a game and then hopefully he doesn't throw an interception, maybe one touchdown pass. That's all you're asking him. They have more running backs than just Hassan Haskins in that backfield. A couple of guys, they're averaging about 4.2 yards per play. I think as a team, they average like 4.7. It's one of the best in college football. They rank top 10 in run efficiency, big time runs. And I think it's rushing touchdowns. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the red zone. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens in, you know, inside the 20 if they're going to be able to force throws with Caden McNamara, if that's the case, and I'm going to be completely honest, uh, Kirby Smart, I love the guy, you know, as an Alabama alum, somebody who got to cover him in his final year, got to actually get to know him a little bit along with Lane Kiffin that last year, you know, when I got to go into press conferences and talk to him, he's a stellar coach and the way that he has built Georgia is fantastic. It's, it's about that same level as Mark Rick, but they, they hired you not to be Mark Rick. They hired you to be better than Mark Rick and sticking with Stetson Bennett. That to me is kind of a death sentence to where I don't know if I can completely trust you at this point. I mean, the, the, the way that he was throwing the football has been good at times, but I've always viewed JT Daniels as the better prospect. I get playing the hot hand because of it's hot, but you know, lightning doesn't strike twice. And so you could actually see the Atlanta Braves taking away a shot at the national championship because they took the thunder by winning the world series. So I think that Michigan may actually have a shot of getting this opportunity. I think Jim Harbaugh is just as talented as a coach. I think that the way that they've played defensively all year is going to give them a shot and that Josh Gaddis has changed his offense completely from more so speed, speed, speed to pound, pound, pound. The fact that they were able to go ahead and trip that up. I actually think that Michigan has a very good shot of winning this game all out outright. And I'm going to just go ahead and say that Michigan and Alabama close it out. I don't know who I would pick in that one. I, I really don't. Aiden Hutchinson versus Evan Neal. I mean, you're talking about a chance to see the number one and the number two pick go up against each other. Maybe the number two and the number three pick in next year's NFL draft go up against each other. That's going to be something that scouts will just look at and just go, you know what? Here, here's my ticket. I'll I'll pay to watch it from the stands. I'll I'll sit in the, the, the very top row. You don't need to go ahead and pay me to go. It's I'll like when it. it's like when Chet and Palo played against each other for Duke and Zaga the other night. Basically, like the, the, the best way I can put it is imagine a heavyweight boxing match like back in the day when Evander Holyfield took on the likes of a, a, a Mike Tyson. Like when, when boxing was at its greatest, people were willing to pay ridiculous amounts of money. And they didn't care if they were in the nosebleed section just to hear the punches be thrown or just to hear it over the sound speaker. They just want to be in the building. That to me is, a, is just such a great matchup. And I, I do think that you could see that actually happen personally. 
Do you have a non-playoff bowl game that you're most excited for as you kind of take a look at that whole big board that you've got there now with, was it 60-something bowl games that we've got coming up? 64, I want to say. 60, 63 or 64, something like that. Um, I, I'm a little biased because if I get to go to this one for work, um, it, I will be at the uh, Gator Bowl where it's Texas a yeah. versus Wake Forest. I think that's actually a really good matchup. It's one of only three non-New Year's Six Bowl games that is actually featuring two ranked opponents in. So that's going to be really interesting to me. But the one that I will mention probably the most is the Cheez-It Bowl. And nobody's <laughs> going to talk about the Cheez-It Bowl, but here's the reason why. It's Dabo Sweeney and it's Matt Campbell of Iowa State. These were two teams going into the year that to me felt like top 10 teams. They felt like teams that could have been college football playoff contenders, the way that Iowa State closed out last season, the way that Clemson has always been with recruiting. No Brent Venables anymore. He's now in Oklahoma. Tony Elliott, I've been told, has been in the running for multiple jobs. Virginia and Duke are looking at him. He could be without both of his two star coordinators, one of which has been with him for almost a decade. That's going to be really interesting. And how does Matt Campbell respond, especially if you start seeing opt-outs, guys like Brees Hall, who set the FBS record in rushing touchdowns, what's he going to be like as a head coach? I, I mean, the way that I look at Matt Campbell is I view him as one of the best leaders in a locker room kind of guy. I don't know what he truly is as a head coach still. And this was like the one opportunity where I believe someone may have overpaid for a guy like that. Kind of like you saw with the Mel Tucker, if he does not go to Oregon, which from what I've been told right now, there is a limitation. They don't know if he is even interested in the job. If he doesn't go there, he may turn himself into Kirk Ferentz, where he just stays at Iowa State. They're going to build a statue of that man. He is never going to be fired. He is like a law professor who has just solved a big case at a university. Ten-year baby, but at the same time, Iowa State, you really want to see them continue to develop of what they were last year, and they just didn't. Same with Clemson. These are two teams that I think you could view as definitely still contenders, but this also could be slowly the beginning of the end to where they kind of just move back into the middle of the pack of college football. So I'm really actually interested in that game. It's a good call. Uh, who's the prospect when people who people maybe not haven't heard of yet, but when they watch bowl season, they're going to hear his name a lot as we head towards the draft. That's a good one, actually. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, I, I'll be a little, yeah, God, you guys put me in a good spot there. Um, <laughs> I thought Bailey Zappi would be the first to come to mind. Or yeah. maybe like Cameron Thomas from San Diego State or Sincere McCormick from UTSA. There we like go. That. There we go. Let's go. Let's, okay. Let's actually go with Sincere McCormick. Yeah. That's actually like, he's I, one I, of my favorites. When you look at Sincere, he's a little bit of speed. He's a little bit of power and he's got a little bit of burst to his name as well. And I think the biggest thing is that if he did not play at UTSA, which by the way, congratulations to the Roadrunners. My brother lives in San Antonio. I used to live in San Antonio. It's a great, it's a great complex. It's a great facility. Jeff Trailer for the work that he's been able to do over the last two years to help build that program, a very new program. I mean, they haven't even been around for uh, 15 years. So for them to yeah. be able to build up to that level, that's something that I really want to keep a close eye on, especially for the future. Future, and especially how Jeff Trailer is going to be able to recruit because a lot of these guys were Frank Harris recruits, the guy who was ahead of him. But I kind of view him a lot like Kareem Hunt. He's got a little bit of speed. He's got a lot of power behind his legs. He can move the ball. He's really good on third down. He's got good vision. He's got a lot of torque to his body and he's got some home run threat ability if you let him in the open field. If he were to go to a major program, say he was at a Wake Forest, say he was at a uh, 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 Michigan State, say he was at maybe even a Texas for all we care. I mean, okay, let's throw Texas out. Let's throw <laughs> Texas Tech in there because B. John Robinson is the GOAT. But let's just throw Texas Tech in there. 
There'd be a valid argument that his numbers are worthy of being in the Heisman Trophy conversation. There is a valid argument that he would be worthy of being probably a top 100 pick in next year's draft class. It's because he plays at a smaller school. People kind of take that into advantage. I don't know for sure if he will declare for the NFL draft this year. He still has an extra year of eligibility. So he could go back and try and run this thing back to where he is the lead back in next year's draft class. But he would be one I would say. Cam Thomas is another really good one. I've talked to a lot of people out there. Uh, they, they say a lot of Chris Long is in his game. A lot of good run defensive uh, run defensive play. He could slowly sink his way into the top 32. I think that right now he's probably about a top 50 player. I really am interested to see what he does. Um, I really want to see Jake Hayner. Like, I really did want to see Jake Hayner at Fresno State before he elected to transfer. I thought that that would have been a really good matchup. He was a name that people were talking about as potentially being, a, a, like, the sleeper quarterback, the number six or the number uh, the, the guy after the guys kind of thing. So that would have been a really fun one. I think that another one that people are kind of forgetting about is Isaiah Spiller at Texas A&M really good size, really good speed back-to-back 1000 yard seasons done a really good, a lot amount in that aspect. Um, I think that there's a few others. I don't think David Bell for Purdue is going to be playing in that bowl game, but that would be another one that I would really be interested in seeing what he does, especially as a vertical option that paired really well with Rondell Moore, who was that gadget player mm-hmm. for them last season. Yeah, I think Bell, and then I know that Karloftis is not playing for Karloftis Purdue. Karloftis is out. Yeah. yeah, he's out. out. Um, now, you talked a little bit about the coaching carousel. Have you had a favorite hire so far? Oh, hell yeah. I've had a favorite hire so far. I've had a lot of favorite hires, but this to me was the one that actually makes the most sense. I cannot believe it finally happened. I actually was able to kind of get an inside scoop. And when I finally heard that this was true, I was like, oh, this is perfect. And it's Brent Venables at Oklahoma. To me, that is the best hire that has been made because of, I think most of us know, I know PJ knows this. I know I know this just because of my time at Alabama, my time in the SEC, SEC is a defensive conference. I don't think enough people understand that even though the offense has really kind of turned the corner, you've had the hot shot of Lane Kiffin coming, you've had the air raid with Mike Leach swinging his sword. It still is a defensive conference. The best teams in the SEC have strong defenses. And every single year that Alabama won the national title, it was because they were solidified by a good defense. The way that people thought about Georgia as the clear cut only go to national champion this year was because of its defense. Texas A&M is an emerging team that's looking like it's taking those proper steps underneath Jimbo Fisher. It's a lot because of their defense with Mike Elko. So you had to be able to bring in a good defensive mind if you were going to be Oklahoma, who's going to join the SEC in a few years. The real big kicker about this is that you're going to add him at the right time because of what he's going to do is he's not going to recruit players who are going to help them win in the big 12. They may struggle for a year or two in the big, 12. they may be nine and three next year. They may be eight and four in their final year in the big 12, because what he's doing is he's going to be building a team that's meant to be in the sec. And keep in mind that the only team that has really been able to go up against Alabama in the national championship is Clemson. And he was the defense coordinator at Clemson. He was able to find ways to shut down multiple different quarterbacks, including Jake Coker, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa at times, they were able to go ahead and solidify that they had a lot of issues in their games. So when they were able to go win those bowl games, when they were able to go win those national championships with those type of quarterbacks, that was monumental for the program. That was monumental for the team's success. And that was so big for Clemson to be able to have that type of play. And then on top of all these things, you have the logo of SEC now attached with your name in Oklahoma. And he has recruiting ties, not just in Texas, not just in Oklahoma, but also in Louisiana and Alabama and Mississippi and Georgia and Florida. And then we go back to his Clemson route. So Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky, 
North Carolina, South Carolina, it is a recruiting melting pot. And what Lincoln Riley was trying to do was bring in players from the West Coast to implement more of a West Coast offense with a run-first style. They're going to do the exact same thing, but it's going to be East Coast players. So guys that you truly see come to the SEC, they're going to be making their mark over to the likes of Georgia. They're going to be wanting to make their marks over the likes of Oklahoma. I really did like this hire. I thought that you had to go defense because defense wins you championships in the SEC. This is why I think that Oklahoma can probably get a little bit more comfortable knowing that they're leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC because they have a guy who has actually beaten SEC teams consistently as their new head coach. I'm surprised that you mentioned uh, being able to get recruits from Louisiana in there because Brian Kelly in that fake Southern accent, he's going to get every Louisiana recruit that he wants. So <laughs> I find it funny. I bet you guys have no idea who is the number two team in the state of Louisiana that actually wins the recruiting. Just take a wild guess. You're not going to get it. It's probably Clemson. No, it's actually not. Oh, I'll go Louisiana Lafayette. Nope. Uh, Oklahoma. It's TCU. Wow. Yeah. So there was actually at one point, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and one other guy I'm I'm playing. Was it Lloyd Cushenberry? It was someone from that 2019 class. They all were declared to go to TCU. TCU actually knows how to run the state of Louisiana. Uh, It's going to be really interesting to see what Brian Kelly does because You know, my biggest thing with Kelly is I understand, you know, this is the way recruit, like this is the way it had to be done because of early signing day is now a week is almost a week away. So with all of that in mind, he's got to get down there. He's got to be able to build his staff. He's got to be able to keep recruits. He's got to be able to bring in more names to make sure they're solidified next season. But, you know, and people are kind of complaining about, oh, well, you know, he left his team in such a crappy way. What happens if he would have left on Monday? Like, and they weren't in the college football playoff. Would we still be having this conversation? The guy is a proven winner. He has brought Notre Dame to the highest level of play since probably the era Parsesian, Lou Holtz era. So with a compliment like that, and for him to be able to be the all-time winningest coach at a program where it's hard to recruit, where it's hard to win, where it's hard to be able to solidify yourself as a true standard of college football because of you aren't independent. You have to make your own schedule. You have to be able to schedule these games with opponents. Sometimes they're really good. Sometimes they're really not. Three straight 10-plus win seasons, three out of the last – I mean, he almost had a shot to be three out of the last four years in the college football playoff. He's going to be fine in Louisiana. My biggest problem is do you really want to go with a guy who's 60 years old if you don't think he's going to be there until he's 70 when you just fired a guy who was 60 years old and you didn't want to be there until 70? That's something that I really would have considered. Uh, but ultimately, I, I do like the fit of what he brings. And so now just remember, um, it is – Southern, but it's also Cajun. It's not Foghorn Lake or Kentucky or Tennessee. If you want to do I do declare kind of style. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, is there a hire that, and this is the last question here, as far as the coaching carousel goes, was there a hire that surprised you the most or made you scratch your head? Like maybe that's not the best idea from whichever AD made that call. Ooh. Um, so far right now, no. Uh, what I will say is, uh, just to bring it up, uh, I thought that the way that Miami handled the Manny Diaz yeah. situation was a complete and total cluster. $25 million they had committed and, to getting Cristobal. And it wasn't even that. Like, I mean, I, listen, Mario Cristobal, in my opinion, is if he's not a top 10 coach, he's like the number 11 coach. He's right there on being a, a, a cusp top tier player. And the biggest thing is that To win in the ACC, I really think that you have to be able to build offensive lines. I still think that you want to be able to protect your quarterback. And they have a guy in Tyler Van Dyke who is really, really talented. The fact that they're going to be able to keep him for the long term is really successful. But 
You know, last season, Steve Sarkeesian surprised everybody when it was announced after going 4-0 in bowl games that Tom Herman was going to get fired and that Tom Herman was done at Texas, even though he had just brought Texas to a Sugar Bowl appearance two years prior. But then it was announced that Steve Sarkeesian was the guy. Nobody had time to go ahead and make a wish list of what was going to be the next head coach at Texas. It was already just kind of announced. This was completely different. They kind of told you three days in advance. Uh, it's going to be Mario Cristobal. We're going to hire Mario Cristobal. We're going to go ahead and bring him in. Oh, oh, hi, Manny. Um, yeah, go ahead and keep recruiting, big guy. Like, just go out there, keep doing your stuff. We don't, we're not going to pretend, like, we're going to not worry about it. Yeah, you're still the head coach. And then literally, oh, yeah, by the way, you're not the head coach. You can go clean out your office. Thanks, later. Like, that was the way it was handled. And to me, that's why I think that it's unfair to a head coach or especially anybody, if you don't have an AD in place, they did not have one with the likes of Blake James. He was gone at the time. So they hadn't hired their next AD. This was all based off boosters. This was all based off the presidency. And at some point, I do think that you need to see a commissioner of college football step in because of the way that this was handled, the way it was reported and the way that Manny Diaz kind of had to sit there twiddling his thumbs. Is he going to take the job? Won't he take the job? Will he, you know, will he be here? Will I have a job tomorrow? was completely unjustly fair for him. Um, if there was one hire I really didn't get, uh, I, I mean, I get it because of his ties, but I didn't truly get completely. It was Brent Pry at Virginia Tech. I thought that that was a good hire. I thought they could have gone a little bit bigger. They could have swung for the fences a little bit more, maybe gone after an offensive mind, but I totally understand what, what Babcock, uh, Babcock was doing. You just went with an offensive minded guy in Justin Fuente. Go ahead and bring a defensive mind in, somebody who also is really good at recruiting. You know, Virginia Tech is a really good institution. They have an opportunity to be probably a top three or four team in the ACC. They were ranked for the last four years under the top five in ACC in recruiting. That just shows what level of care that, you know, Justin Fuente put in. And I don't like the personal hire, but I do like the personnel he brought with. Sonny Dykes at TCU, I thought that, that was a decent hire. Personally, I've never been that big of a fan of Sonny Dykes, but the fact that he was able to bring in a guy like Rashad Samples as his running back coach, who is an elite recruiter, I mean, guys, like, the way that he was able to bring talent into Dallas and actually beat TCU in recruiting at SMU is phenomenal. So now he's going to be able to own the DFW area as long as he is still in the running. I really did like that. I personally would have gone with a younger, more innovative, offensive-minded coach than Sonny Dykes for TCU because of, I really do believe the TCU with the money, the funds, uh, the boosters, with NIL, with Dallas being in the background – they could actually take over and run the Big 12 for years and years to come and be the next Oklahoma. I'm not sure Sonny Dykes was the right guy to be able to sell the program with that, but then you bring over the staff with him and it becomes a little bit easier to breathe. Fair enough, and I think I agree as well. I mean, none of the hirings, I would say, were bad. You could probably reevaluate that in two years when someone's fired. That's the thing about bad hires. It's like when people say, oh, he's a bust. He made it to the freaking NFL. He's not a bust. He just sucked there. I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah. There's a lot of great coordinators that are just great coordinators and they suck at head coaches. Yeah. I mean, so to me, like Sam Pittman is like the perfect analogy of like, you don't need to be a coordinator to be a head coach. You just got to be able to sell the program. And, and, you know, that's why I would have actually given him coach of the year over Luke Fickle. I, I really would have. He would have been my vote because of the I way that he, the way he's built. He's Arkansas. So good. I mean, you would never think that fat Ted Lasso would be the way that you would sell the program, but yet lo and behold, here we are. And they have an opportunity. To really People good forget. I mean, they were Vandy like three years ago. Like they, they were freaking, they, they didn't win a freaking game on a chat. Awful. No, the they job were, he's done. Wow. Is I mean, great. God, I mean, th- th- here's how bad it was. Like Chad Morris is now a high school coach. Like he went from being, <laughs> 
SMU head coach to being Arkansas head coach to being Auburn's offense coordinator to, you know what? Now nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to go back to the high school level. I'm good. Like he, they burned that man alive. Well, you know how this goes. You've been here before. We go Swift seven, then we go trivia. So uh, let's get to the Swift seven. You can attend one event this Saturday, Army, Navy, or the Heisman ceremony. Heisman ceremony, 100%. I, I think it's just the sheer fact of being able to see a quarterback for the first time from the University of Alabama hoist up that uh, hoist up that award. I mean, there's been so few Alabama players, and you think of the dominance of what Alabama has been over the years, especially when it comes to running backs. You know, now quarterback with Tua, with Jalen Hurts. You know, I, he really emerged at, you know, Lincoln Riley, but that's a whole different story. Mac Jones even was in the finalists. For them to be able to have back-to-back Heisman's too, that's also really cool. So, and by the way, we know that it's going to be that way. Yeah, and we didn't even, just to show you how much has gone on recently in college football, we didn't even touch on Lincoln Riley at USC and the, and, and what that could become <laughs> uh, for, for years down the line. So, uh, number two, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, they're going to be attached at the hip every step of the way from now on after the years they both had being the same age. Uh, which one has a better NFL career, if you were to say right now, December 7th, uh, 2021. You know, I like Bryce's IQ. I like Bryce's agility and I like Bryce's accuracy. I like CJ Stroud's deep ball. I really do. I really think that he's got a beautiful spiral. He's got a great arm. I think there's just a few mechanics that he's got to work on to where he could be a superstar. I'll go Bryce young right now, but I really won't be shocked to see these guys go back to back in, in 2023's draft and probably have really, really good careers if you build around them. But that's that, like, that's the other thing that I think enough people don't understand I think any quarterback can be really good. You have to put in the work and build around them or else you're going to have a Matthew Stafford where after a couple of years, you know, after a dozen years, he's like, dude, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, maybe this is where we get into Lincoln Riley. Number three, uh, which new face in a new place among the head coaches wins a national title first? You said uh, a coach at the new place wins national title first. Yep. Um, Crap, that's, I, I, mean, I don't think any of them right now, uh, personally. <laughs> it doesn't I, have to be soon. It doesn't have to be soon. All first right, might um, be seven years from now, but first. Let's go with the wild card. I'm going to go Marcus Freeman. I am going to go Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. The reason like why it. is because if he has put an emphasis on recruiting and he is going to make Notre Dame cool, the first thing you have to keep in mind about Notre Dame is they're an institution academically first, athletically second. But he's going to be able to land recruits from the SEC across the middle of the Ohio Valley, those who want to go play at um, – at Ohio State, those who want to go play at Michigan, be able to come into South Bend, Indiana, those five-star recruits. He was going to, he's going to have a top five recruiting class for his first year in 2022 as the head coach. I think being able to build off of that and to have a person of color as well, I think really does resonate at a school like Notre Dame. Those are going to be some really big factors. And I do believe that as long as he has Tommy Reese and he gets a really good defensive mind in there, Notre Dame will be in the college football playoff either next year or in 2023. And I think they can win a national title within the next five years. Love that. Now, number four, you're the czar of college football for a day. Uh, what's your first order of business? Uh, early signing day moved to August because if I think that what's oh. unfair is that you have these guys decommit when a coach automatically says, I'm leaving the program because of what happens is that now you're scrambling to go ahead and sign guys. Now you're going and putting a lot of people up, you know, up in arms. You don't really know what your program is. And if you bought the program, not the coach, you're going to stay with the program. Instead, you're either going to follow the coach somewhere else. You're either going to go ahead and try and reopen all this stuff. And then it leads to more drama. I think it also really helps out with coaches staying for the long term. Someone like Brian Kelly would be able to come into, uh, into LSU 
right after it was announced and no one would bat an eye. Someone like Mario Cristobal could probably get a, ch- a chance to go play in the college football playoff and then go to Miami. Those are just little things. I would move it up to August. Number five, were you more surprised this season by Clemson losing three games or by Michigan making the playoff? Clemson losing three games. It's the ACC. I mean, it's it's the ACC. That's all I have to say on that one. And that's not it's not the ACC, but like, it's the ACC, and like they don't do much out there. It's Clemson, pick your team every other year. I mean, there was a few years ago where Virginia was the representative of the ACC in the Orange Bowl. I mean, when that's the case, you're supposed to be the top team. And I think that, you know, the really regression of DJ Uyangalale was a big-time deal. I think that's why Tony Elliott hasn't officially been hired somewhere yet. But I do wonder about that, and that to me is a much bigger deal than Michigan. Michigan just had to get over that hump, you know, People don't realize Jim Harbaugh in six years has four 10 plus win seasons. So he's done a good job. It's just the standard at Michigan is supposed to be at Ohio state, maybe bring it down to like, you know, 10 and two every year. And and you would actually consider him a very successful head coach. Number six, if Desmond Ritter beats Alabama and then goes on to beat Georgia, will he be the first quarterback taken in the draft this upcoming season? No, no. And again, this is one of those things where it's not about team. It's about players. Scout the scout the don't scout the helmet, scout the actual prospect. I look at a guy like Kenny Pickett, who has been able to revamp his entire career, been able to relearn an offense underneath Mark Whipple, limit the turnovers, may become a better, uh, more efficient passer. A lot like Mac Jones, but a little bit of a bigger arm. I see a lot of like Kirk Cousins kind of playing him. Mm-hmm. I feel like he is probably the safest quarterback in this class. I feel like he would be the number one QB. I still think that he is going to be the number one QB. You know, Malik Willis is one that people are talking about. Sam Howell has been thrown around in conversation. I get Desmond Ritter maybe being a first rounder, but you scout the player, not the helmet. And even though he'd be able to probably torch up some of these teams, one game doesn't do it for me. I mean, even a guy like, uh, I think people forget Cardell Jones had a fantastic year and was able to beat up in the Big Ten Championship, in the uh, Sugar Bowl, and then win the national title. And he was like a fourth round prospect. So just, just, just keep that in mind when you're winning about franchise quarterbacks versus, you know, national champion quarterbacks. It's Very a weak point. quarterback class when the guy who might go number one is comp to Kirk Cousins. That's a weak quarterback. <laughs> That's a weak quarterback class. But, I, you know, Kirk Cousins is not the problem in Minnesota. He's just not Fair enough. answer. Uh, and then before the trivia, Cole, last question. You've talked about all the Alabama quarterbacks the last five years. Do you think Bryce Young is the best of the bunch? Is he the best quarterback saving his hat at Alabama? I think he's the most talented quarterback saving his hat at Alabama. Now, the production-wise, this is a, a you know an amazing year. And for him to be able to do it with the Bill O'Brien offense really speaks volume of what his talent and upside is, especially with this minute offensive line. We have seen offensive lines in the past be so dominant and that's why they used to call it the crimson tide because of how the sea of red offensive line would just bulldoze people out of the way this was a weak class this was a weak running game there was a lot of injuries and for him to be able to overcome all the adversity i say he's the most complete product i don't know if he will be recognized as highly as all the other quarterbacks just because of the hype surrounding them but then again of course with nil he 100 has already become a millionaire within his first year before even taking it down he's lived up to expectations and he will be more than likely the first alabama quarterback to win the heisman trophy so i, I mean yeah pr- uh, probably my, my my personal heart is with either mac jones or tua i mean i just love both of them which i'm is with you yeah. but yeah. um Talent wise, I, I think it's Bryce Young without question. All right, Cole, you've made it to the trivia portion. We got three minutes and 10 seconds left on the Zoom, but you got 90 seconds for trivia and three strikes. Your question is Alabama based. It's right. real, it's real simple. I was actually shocked by this. 
So as you know, Alabama has made seven of the eight college football playoffs, but in all seven of those years, they have played a different school in the semifinals every year. So I just need you to name me all seven of the schools that they've played in the semifinals, including this year. Okay. uh, So so let's go Cincinnati first. There you go. There's one. Notre Dame was last year. Two. They skipped the year before because that was LSU. Correct. Uh, there was a Washington one year. Washington. There was an Oklahoma one. Yeah, there was an Oklahoma one year. Correct. Three more. Uh, there was um, okay. There was Ohio State, which they lost to. That's correct. Two more. And yep. uh, how many more do I have? One or two? Just need two. two more. I need two more. Okay, so now I gotta go back to twenty. Okay, so one year was Clemson because yep. they beat Clemson in the semifinal. They made it to the semifinals to face off against Georgia. That's right. And then there was the year they faced Clemson. Who was that year? This this, this could be the one that stops me. This is <laughs> this could be the one that. Oh wait, Michigan State. I got that game. There you go. Well done. Well done. I, I had a game. feeling. Yeah. I had a feeling it would be easy. You know, like Washington, Michigan State. You never know. But well done. Well done. The, uh, the one. The, the one that was fun for me was um was the Washington one because the, you know what's funny is I only covered Alabama for two years while you know working at the school. But then I worked for ESPN for a year as a, you know, as a production assistant and they assigned me to the Peach Bowl where Alabama played Washington. So nice. I got to go nice. for three years in a row and watch that team actually dominate. And then I got to go ahead and sit at home and watch them lose to Clemson that year. By the way, Hunter Renfro was completely wrong on that play. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, nah, he wasn't. He actually wasn't. Marlon Humphrey, I love you, bud, but he wasn't. That was actually a really good play by Hunter Renfro. That, that was a hell of a game. That was a hell of a game. Cole, it was great to see you again, man. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it uh roll tide hopefully they can they can win another title how about basketball too huh nate oats and the boys going to gonzaga and getting a win gotta love it i mean gotta you, you love gotta it. love it and especially for someone like mark few to lose oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> outstanding see you cole thanks man thanks cole Bye, guys. joe a lot of interesting stuff there that uh cole touched on and thanks again to him for joining us when we were talking about hires that he loved Marcus Brent Venables was interesting to me. I agree with him. Great hire, knowing they're going to the SEC. Love the Marcus Freeman hiring, but to me, Lincoln Riley was the slam dunk. Yeah, uh, to get yeah. a guy. I in the interview, like I, I mentioned that we didn't really mention Lincoln Riley, but like he is yeah. absolutely the biggest one. I mean, to to get a guy of that stature with the offense that he's run in LA, where it's all about the flash and everything. Uh, I mean, to me, that's that's the best one. And I hear a bunch of guys say it, Colin Coward now living out there, a couple other people. That is a Southern Cal town, Los Angeles. Like it's Lakers, Dodgers. But from a football standpoint, it is USC college football. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that Lincoln's there, because now guys like Bryce Young, they're not going to Alabama. They're going to USC now. And Bryce was originally committed to USC. But because Clay Helton was there, he's like, yeah, no, I'm going to go down to Tuscaloosa. If Lincoln Riley was there, no way he'd decommit. So you've already that, seen it. You've already seen it like with a couple of the big guys from Oklahoma yeah. that were from LA already decommitting and going to USC. Of course. So to me, that was a slam dunk. As soon as his name was linked there, the LSU, I really never, I was like, look, he's a great coach that maybe that can get them back to those high powered scoring offenses uh, that they wanted to have since 2019. But once he signed with USC, I'm like, oh, that's just the perfect marriage right there. So to me, that was the best hire. Interesting hires. I agree with him. Pry from Virginia Tech was uh, was a little head-scratching there. But every other hire that's happened, look, even Brian Kelly 
The dude just wins everywhere he goes. I think he'll be fine at LSU. Cristobal's a Miami guy. I think he's going to mesh great in Miami. Um, but n- nothing so far where, uh, you know, somebody's been hired. I'm like, what the hell is that school doing? So all in all, I think it's pretty good. A couple more job openings left. You got Oregon left. You got Virginia and Duke left. Uh, so some power five schools. It'll be interesting to see what happens at those places. Matt Campbell, the name that he brought up at Oregon, hadn't heard that one. Makes makes a, a little sense. Uh, I thought Notre Dame would have been perfect for Campbell. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I thought that that's where they would go. Um, but they could go a lot of different directions at Oregon. But Campbell, uh, that, that to me, that would be that would be an interesting one. Not because I don't love him as a coach. Him just in Eugene, I don't know if that if that would mesh. And Lane Kiffin is going to be thrown around in perpetuity now until he gets a bigger job that Ole Miss. But they just gave him that big contract extension to make sure they keep him around. He was one that jumped off the page to me as an interesting fit at Oregon, just because you think of like the history sure. of guys at Oregon since Chip Kelly, like it's always offense first, offensive minded, offensive innovation to go with the flash of the uniforms and the flash of the school. So he jumped out, but and then they get turn around Ole Miss and give him that contract extension. So it doesn't seem like he's going anywhere anytime soon either. So uh, that, that to me took one of the biggest fish out of the, out of the equation. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. So now let's go to bowl season, talk about some of these games in the playoff. It seems like it happens every year, right? Everybody has all this anticipation. If this happens, who will get in? If this happens, and it all works itself out. There was no real question of who the four teams would be after Bama won and after Oklahoma State lost. Two questions for you, though. If Michigan would have lost at night, who would have gotten in? as the other team and if Oklahoma state would have won, would they have gotten in or would have Cincinnati still gotten in? I think Cincinnati was in regardless. Okay. Win. That, okay. I mean, I, if they would have left out Cincy for Oklahoma state, it would have been absolutely disgusting because nobody, you can make the case that nobody except for Bama then beating Georgia had as good of a win as Cincy on the road against Notre Dame. Um, and they were they were number five right there for Oklahoma state to have jumped them had the guy reached out at the pylon and gotten in barely beating Baylor. Uh, not much style there, barely again, sweeping through. If, if that would have been the case, it would be terrible to put them through had to have been Cincy. And then to your point, it had Michigan have lost. I think it was as simple as just sliding up Notre Dame because on the flip side, then the counter argument to what I just said with Cincy, Notre Dame, their only loss would have been to a playoff bound Cincy team. So you're going to really put Baylor in over Notre Dame um, just because Baylor beat Oklahoma state very unconvincingly with a backup quarterback. Um, They had that terrible loss to TCU from earlier in the year. They split with Oklahoma state in that case. So it had to have been Notre Dame again, their only loss being to a playoff bound Cincy. I agree with you on both fronts to me, Oklahoma state had, they pulled that one out just didn't look impressive at all. Spencer Sanders threw three, four interceptions. He wasn't good. Baylor was playing with a backup quarterback. Joe, they didn't score a point in the second half and they still won that game. So I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how you can put Oklahoma state in after that. I'm glad they lost just so that the committee just had absolutely no doubt, but to put Cincinnati in and they're in and they get their shot at the big dog. And Joe, I got to say in both these semifinal games, I have, if we're picking against the spread, these are two of my favorite bets of bowl season. I love Cincinnati plus 14, and I love 
Georgia minus seven and a half against Michigan. To me, the college football playoff this year is just like the final four in college hoops last year. Everybody just assumes it's going to be Bama, Georgia. We, from the start, we thought they were on a collision course, just like we thought with Gonzaga and Baylor. We got to the final four and there were Gonzaga and Baylor and here are Bama and Georgia. And you know, all those money line parlays will be flying with Bama and Georgia, just like they were with Gonzaga and Baylor. And in those two semifinal games, we had one blowout and we had one ridiculous overtime, crazy close game. And I think you're going to get the same thing in the playoff. I think Georgia, Michigan is going to be the blowout. And I think Cincinnati is going to give Bama a hell of a game. People are going to go into this game and they're just going to say, oh, Bama whooped Georgia. They're back. They're going to kill them. Not realizing they had a bunch of games this year as 20-point favorites that they barely just squeaked out. And Cincinnati is the second best team that they've played all year. So 14 to me is too many mm-hmm. points. The Bearcats have been waiting for this game. Ritter's a more than capable quarterback. You heard Cole say without Mechie, that's a huge deal especially with Sauce Gardner on Jamison Williams. I think the matchup's good for Cincinnati. I think the spot is terrible for Bama looking ahead to Georgia, wanting that rematch. I just, uh, I like Cincinnati a lot. And then in the other semi, Georgia to me, Joe, again, it's almost the vice versa. Everybody thought Georgia was like the greatest football team ever. And then after one game with Nick Saban as an underdog, you're just ready to throw that out the door. Just remember what you saw the first 12 games of the season and also understand the matchup. Bama had the best quarterback in the country. They had two great receivers that Georgia hadn't seen anything like that all year. Michigan, they don't throw the ball like that. They're going to want to run the ball. And Georgia is going to kill their run game. They won't have anything to do. That's got 31-7, 38-7 written all over it. I think Georgia's going to kill them. I think Cincinnati's going to keep it close, though. At the end of the day, I do think it's Bama-Georgia national title, but Cincinnati will keep that game close against Bama. I don't think Georgia blows out Michigan because I don't think Georgia can score enough points against that Michigan defense with Stetson Bennett at quarterback to make it a blowout, and that's going to be a a run-heavy, ball-control type of game where – I mean, whatever the under turns out to be for that game, I'm playing the under in that game. And I can yep. see it being maybe Georgia like 24, Michigan 20, Georgia 24, Michigan 14, something like that, like a, a 10-ish point game um, that always feels within reach, but it's never actually a close game where you always feel like Georgia has it in hand, even though Michigan is within arm's reach. So uh, I don't think they blow them out, but I think it's a good close game, low scoring. And then I agree with you. I think Cincinnati keeps that game a lot closer than anybody realizes they have a lot more talent than anybody realizes last year they were lost on that last second field goal in the new year six game to georgia and that was kind of their announcement that that they're here and it's not like this is their first big uh big game around new year's they were in new year six game last year fickle has had this team on the right trajectory they keep this game very close and again like it's it's goes back to georgia just not being able to beat Bama and Bama just once that game got going with Stetson Bennett unable to really play from behind because he doesn't have to do it all year things kind of unraveled can Cincinnati turn this into more of that Auburn Alabama game where they just keep it close and muddy it up can they turn Mm -hmm. it into that type of game and I think the answer is yes I I agree with you um I think it's going to be two really good semifinal games we haven't had that many years but I think both of those uh, could be good. 
I'm hoping Michigan keeps it close, but I just think Georgia's a terrible matchup for him. Joe, my bet of bowl season that I absolutely love, my lock, I've kind of gone through spreads of every game and just stuff that jumps out. And to me, there's just a clear one. I don't know how the hell Air Force is an underdog to Louisville. Louisville right now is minus one and a half. All I know is Louisville just gave up 400 yard rushing yards to Kentucky. Now they got to play <laughs> the wishbone in Air Force. And when you're in a bowl game and it's Christmas time and you want to travel, you don't want to play guys chopping at your legs and at your knees. We don't have to worry about motivation with Air Force. They're going to come to play. To me, I don't know how they're an underdog, but Air Force 100% will be my biggest bet. I love them in that game against Louisville. Is there a best bet that you've had kind of going through the games? I haven't gotten to thinking about bets specifically when it comes to, to the bowl games. I have looked at the board and, and kind of seen which games I'm definitely going to be tuning into and, and kind of focusing on the most. I always love when it comes to bowl season, like kind of the, the lesser random ones that sure. are on Tuesday at like 2 p.m. I'm with um, you. And, and I, I look at UTEP and Fresno State. Fresno State underachieved this year, uh, and UTEP has been just kind of a fun story all year long. And when it comes to bowl games, you think about motivations. Um, UTEP and UTSA, when they played each other this year, like that was one of the most fun little storylines of the season. Um, so I like to a game like that. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the spread here real quick on what that game actually even is. Like I said, I kind of looked at the matchups, and, and the first thing I did in the cursory glance was take a look at uh, motivations. Yeah, Fresno State is 10.5-point favorites in, over UTEP in that game. That's one where I look at it, and I think about playing UTEP outright, where it's just especially comes down Hainer. to motivation. Yeah, Hayner's not there. Uh, it comes down to motivation. UTEP has it. Fresno State doesn't. So those are the really good value games you could find in a bowl 100%. season like that. It's on December 18th. It's one of the first bowl games. Um, they're playing it out in New Mexico, and, you know, it's, it's again, it, Hayner's not there. Fresno State, what do they care? UTEP has been one of the fun stories of the year. Um, I, I always like to look for a game like that. And then conversely, uh, to, the, to the other team that I just mentioned in the UTEP, UTSA, UTSA, again, this year, this was a monumental year for them, and they want to cement themselves as a legitimate program. Uh, they're uh, a couple of days later on the 21st, they're taking on San Diego State, another team who at times this year kind of underachieved. I mean, they just got the doors blown off of them by Utah State in the conference title game as, I think, touchdown favorites in that game or yep. close oh. to touchdown yeah, favorites Utah in that State game. Yeah, Utah State was on my best bets. San Diego State stinks. Their offense has got yeah, off. At, it's like watching the Giants in the college football. They're, they're number 24. <laughs> they're 11-2. and two. UTSA is 12-1. Is and one. Um, and, and you got that game right now at UTSA minus 2.5. So those are two early bowl games that sort of jumped out at me. And then to your point um, – Air Force, that game is another one that I will be playing as well. I saw that. Um, doesn't make much sense. I always love picking um, the military team, academy teams always. in bowl season just 100%. because you haven't seen that. And, and it's always a nice reminder that we have the Army-Navy game to lead up into bowl season at just exactly what these bowl teams are going to be going up against. And it sucks when you have to go up against that in a bowl game. So speaking of which, before we continue the bowl conversations, Army Navy this week, you have any plays? Joe, I'm going to do something real stupid and probably take the over in that game. It's a death I wish. I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. 
But the reason I kind of like it this year is Navy's actually passing a little bit more, and Army's pass defense is god-awful. Wake scored 70 on them, and I get Wake is one of the best passing attacks in the country. But I watched the Air Force Wake uh, Air Force Army game this year. I watched every play because I had a big bet on Army. Both teams in the first half, it was just run, 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 run. It was 0-0 at halftime. In the second half, both teams started to air it out. It finished 20-17. to In the second half and overtime alone, they covered the spread that is in the Army-Navy game now, 34 and a half. So I think Navy's going to air it out a little bit. I think Army might air it out a little bit. I think there's a lot being made about how this game's gone under the total the last 15 years. We're due for an over, Joe. We're due. So I kind of, I actually, I like the over in that game, actually. You got to lean one way or the other as far as the game. Seven and a half right now, Army favorite. Yeah, I think I think I'm leaning leaning Army. Navy's just they in, in this game we can see that a lot of people love taking the underdog with a big number like this because obviously they're so similar in the emotion and the rivalry. But when there tends to be a big number like this, it's because one team's a lot better than the other team, and Army is just a lot better than Navy is. So I think Army wins this by about two touchdowns. Navy has kept things really close lately, especially they, they lost only by a touchdown against Cincy. They beat Tulsa on the road. They got the doors blown off by Notre Dame, which is understandable. Yeah. Um, lost by a field goal to East Carolina, beat Temple by a couple of touchdowns. So they've, they've had a pretty good run the last month and a half, but still I, I'm kind of with you. I think that maybe this is something that's like, you know, uh, 20 to 13 army going into the fourth quarter. And then they get into a 10 minute, 17 play drive <laughs> and score a touchdown that yeah. uh that puts it up to a two touchdown game so i think i'm with you on that no yeah i do like the over though i think people are going to surprise that there's as long as the weather cooperates i know they're playing the game in uh at metlife so i don't know if there's supposed to be snow or anything like that but as long as there's no crazy wind or no snow or anything like that i think they they could air it out more than people realize one last game joe that caught my eye before we'll move on to the nfl Again, we love these matchups when we see them in March Madness in the tournament, but we get UCF against Florida in a bowl game. You get the little guy in the state of Florida versus the big dog. The game's in Tampa, which is awesome. It'll be like a home game for uh, for UCF. So I just – I think, again, Florida, they don't have a coach right now who's going to coach in the game. Billy Napier will be there next year. Gus Malzahn's there. He's familiar with Florida. He's familiar with the SEC. You know he'll want to win this one bad. I think UCF take them plus six and a half, take them on the money line too. They, Florida won't give a crap about this game. I mean, they really won't. They'll sit anybody that's important. I think UCF wins that one outright in the money line. That's probably my my best upset play right there. I like. I'll give you one more too, since you gave us one more. Go ahead. Uh, you go look to New Year's Day. New Year's Day, one of the non-New Year's six games though. On New Year's Day, Penn State's a two and a half point favorite against Arkansas. And for what we talked about. While we had Cole on about Pittman and Arkansas, um, I questioned the motivation for Penn State in this game at seven and five. They had one more win than Maryland this year, and it came against Maryland in a tight game. That's 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 the difference right now between Penn State and Maryland in a year like this. And Arkansas has gone up against some top teams in the SEC. Uh, Again, Pittman will have it ready to go. Arkansas would love to win this game and cement that they were kind of they're back. You know, from from what you said when they were Vandy a couple of years ago. Um, yep. They want to cement that they're back and win for Pittman, uh, Penn State. I, I mean, there's just a weird vibe right now around them. 
they seemed like they were poised to get rid of Franklin in some way, whether firing him or Franklin taking another job. And then all of a sudden, boom, here's a ton of money over a long time that they're certainly going to regret within two years uh, extending Franklin like that. So that, that's just a weird one at noon on New Year's Day down in Tampa. So you probably imagine there's maybe a decent Arkansas contingent uh, uh, being in SEC country. I like Arkansas in that game. And again, Penn State is two and a half point favorites. So I'll take Arkansas. Yeah. I'm with you. Love the hogs in that one as well. All right, Joe, NFL time. Good slate this week. You know, every, as we get into Sunday night football, like for this week when it was chiefs Broncos, I always kind of look ahead to the slate next week, just to see what the spreads are, just to get like a first look at it. I go through and I was going through this slate and I'm like, got some solid games this week. Uh, Thursday night games, a, a good one and a big one for both teams, Pittsburgh and Minnesota. That should be fun. Baltimore, Cleveland, Las Vegas, at Kansas City, Dallas, Washington, San Francisco, Cincinnati, the big one, Buffalo and Tampa, and then another great Monday night game, the Rams and the Cardinals. So you got about six games there that are, are very, very solid. Um, let's see, Joe. I'll ask you right now. Um Will the winner of – well, I'll start with this. What's your pecking order in the NFC right now? And will the winner of the Cardinals-Rams game change that pecking order for you? I think right now my top team is still the Cardinals. Mm. I think what they were able to kind of show the rest of their the, – the strength elsewhere on the team, even with – Hopkins and Murray out for that stretch and then getting them back uh, into the fold now healthy. They showed in that stretch that they're a lot more than just Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, which I think a lot of the casual public who's kind of starting to get to know them as a legit contender now, maybe didn't realize. And now they've come to show that that defense is legit uh, for the Cardinals. And that's not something that I think anybody realized until recently. Uh, They've only given up 224 points this season and in the NFC would it surprise you surprise you if I told you that the Cardinals have the fewest points against in the NFC now there are still some teams that have to have a buy um but I guess among the teams that have to have a buy none of them are I'm looking at it now in contention with the Cardinals for that so the Cardinals have given up by far the fewest points in the NFC at 224 Packers are next at 242 um then you go from there so their defense is legit offensively no one's paying attention to the fact right now of what James Conner is doing and the touchdowns he's been able to score. And he is looking like what we thought he was going to be after he took over for Le'Veon in Pittsburgh, even though he kind of nosedived a little bit. Um, I think they're still the top team to beat and getting Kyler Murray back, hopefully fully healthy, just amplifies that even more um, regardless of the outcome of that game on Monday night. I do think the Rams are here to stay. And, and like the last couple of weeks, where they had lost those couple games in a row. It was more a circumstance of, of Matthew Stafford not being 100%, missing some guys, and just kind of the spots and the situations of those games. They always struggle against the Niners, especially on the road. Um, the game against the Titans, again, it was just like a weird spot for them. Uh, then coming off of that, um, who was the team they lost to to make it three in a row? I'm blanking now. Green that Bay. one, Green Bay. That one, that was tougher, but still – in the freezing cold, Matthew Stafford, 100% healthy. You can make an excuse for all those games, not to make excuses, but you can uh, for, for some of those games. And the teams they've lost to 
are also top teams in their own right. They lost to Green Bay. They lost to, um, to the Titans, who are top of the AFC. The Niners are right now a playoff team in the NFC. So they're not losing to bad teams uh, in, in the midst of that. So they're still here to stay. Uh, the Cowboys have soured on a little bit. Um, and then the Packers and the Bucks are both legit as well. It's a, it's a loaded NFC, but I do think the Cardinals are still a top team to beat. To me, this is a huge game for the Arizona Cardinals. If you go back, Cliff Kingsbury's track record since he's been at Texas Tech for the last, whatever it's been, five, six years, his team's finishing seasons are awful. Like, they finish seasons, they lose the last five or six games of the season. They lose the last four or five. They lose the last four or six. It's like that kind of stuff every year for the last six years. And they got five games left. They won last week against Chicago. But I think that downfall starts this week against the Rams. The Rams are going to want some payback from losing Arizona early in the year. Um, This is a huge game for Arizona. If they win this, I'll start to become a more of a believer. But knowing how Kingsbury's teams tend to do down the stretch, knowing that Kyler Murray always has these nagging injuries at the end of the year, I'm still not quite sold on the Cardinals yet. But if they win that game, I will be uh, I will be more and more inclined to believe in them. Some other games, though, uh, Joe, that I can't wait for. I'm very excited for the Dallas Washington game. Washington had lost four in a row. Now they've won four in a row, and Dallas just is not that same team we saw the first two months of the season. Obviously, a huge rivalry. Um, I kind of like Washington in that game. I think they get the win. Buffalo and Tampa is extremely intriguing. Um, I think I kind of like Buffalo in that game, actually. I think I do. And it's big for the AFC race, too, especially after the Patriots win last night. Big win. Uh, That'll be a hell of a game. I I, I know Tampa's really tough at home, but Buffalo, how they're built, they can attack – the weakness of Tampa Bay's team, which is their secondary San Francisco, Cincinnati will be another fascinating game. Um, again, the story with the Bengals this season, they have these huge wins and then they can never back them up. They always have a crappy loss after that. So can they bounce back from that against the San Francisco team that maybe gets Debo Samuel back? I like San Francisco in that game though. I think their run game will be too much for Cincinnati. And I, uh, I trust, them on the road more than at home. I think they get the win. Um, And then the other fascinating game to me is Las Vegas and Kansas City. Raiders always play Kansas City tough in Arrowhead. They always do. They always give them a game. And after the beatdown that the Chiefs gave the Raiders on Sunday night in their place, I'm expecting a very good bounce back from uh, from Las Vegas in that game. I think they they could give Kansas City uh, a heck of a game and possibly – win that thing so those those are kind of some of the upsets i uh i got on my mind right there raven steelers lived up to the billing this past week as well i mean just another stereotypical grinded out raven steelers game that's why look in best bets i i hate betting against the ravens but four and a half in that rivalry i'm like i mean (laughs) you're like there's no way that game will be more than four points either side so, uh, so that was easy. I almost had the best of both worlds where the Steelers got the cover and the Ravens won by less than four, but they couldn't pull it out at the end. 
Now Marlon Humphrey's out again, and they have a horrible scheduling spot this week. Cleveland gets to play Baltimore twice in a row. They played them on Sunday night, then they had a bye, and now they get the Ravens again, while the Ravens just got bruised up by the Steelers. So great spot for Cleveland. Man, that's that's a tough game. Cleveland's favored by two and a half. I'm kind of leaning Baltimore. I, I think that that's another under game, by the way, too. Um, but oof, that that could go either way. That's a that's a huge game for both teams. But uh, might lead Baltimore plus uh, plus two and a half. But a, a good slate this week, Joe. A lot a lot of interesting games. Yeah, and we're not doing best bets on this episode yet because it's yeah. only Tuesday. A lot could change. Doesn't really matter for me because I've been on a ridiculous cold streak. I'm eight and seventeen in the last five weeks, the last twenty-five games, eight and seventeen, and it all turned sour um, when we had that uh, head-to-head Saints game, one, <laughs> which I lost because of the which it was two and a half, and they won the game by two because of a two-point conversion. So uh, after that, it has just been downhill for me, eight and seventeen in the last twenty-five. So don't listen to me. I've been on a ridiculous heater, so I'm bound to bound to slide. So that'll probably change soon. I got five weeks to try and close the gap, but I'm down by like 11 picks, 12 <laughs> picks to you now. So it's not looking good. Um. All right, Joe. College hoops now. Before we get into trivia, some news happened this week. Uh, you know, to to the Maryland Terrapins, Mark Turgeon resigned. Twitter exploded. Your Twitter exploded. Dude, I, one good I, I made the point that Mark Few should be a call just because of the ties to Gary Williams and like look at what point does Mark Few like take another step the dude's been at Gonzaga for two decades and has not won anything if he doesn't win this year with the talent he had last year with the talent he has this year when is he ever going to win there so maybe at some point you know he says you know what I, I move on and when we try something else, and all I said was, you you give you make the call, you see if you could tug on the heartstrings with the right. relationship with Gary Williams, come to a Power Five, all the resources you got there. Now, granted, there's resources at Gonzaga; they pour everything into basketball, but they might as well not be in a conference playing in the WCC, and it's just not the same. It's just not the same. So I made the comparison that hey, this could be the Brian Kelly deal where he's he's in a terrific situation already at Gonzaga, just like Kelly was at Notre Dame. But you know what? You just—it's just after so long. It's time for a change of scenery. You see what happens. Maybe the cards fall properly. And again, Gary Williams in his ear—they're close. Maybe, you know, one Gonzaga account retweeted it. One. It was, I think, like their Zags SB Nation, Nation or something. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it was their SB Nation affiliate. And you oh became God, public got, enemy got, number one. I got <laughs> like hundreds and hundreds of notifications, and it just didn't stop. And I was like, go back and reread what I said because you clearly misunderstood it. And yeah, actually, you know what? Maryland is a better job than Gonzaga because if you take it Mark is. Few out of the if you take Mark Few out of the equation, Maryland's a better job. Like it, just in a vacuum, Maryland is a better situation, location, recruiting, everything than Gonzaga. Gonzaga only is what it is because Mark Few is there and he's been there for as long as he has, where he's built up that reputation. If you take him away from there and plop him at Maryland, all that he was at Gonzaga travels with him to Maryland. The Chet Holmgren that he got goes to Maryland. All right. that is just the same in different location. He, Gonzaga is Mark Few. Mark Few is not Gonzaga. It's the other way around. So I agree. I compare it to like in college know. football, like Clemson and Florida. Like Florida is the better job. Clemson's a great job now because of Dabo's what's right. made it. Florida, I mean, you're in a recruiting hotspot. You're in the SEC. It's a better job. Better example. I mean, if you 
in a hypothetical alternate universe, let's say Cincinnati has been doing this for 10 years with Luke Fickle. Is Cincinnati a better job than Florida? No. Yeah. Or no. Boise State you compare no. it to for that decade run they yes, had. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I don't care that they've been this good for that long. They're not a better job than Maryland. Rothstein said it himself that they're a top 15 job in, in the country yeah. because of location of course. To, to the metro area with the Matha up the road. Lord knows Mark Turgeon could not recruit the Matha. <laughs> uh, with the Matha up the road, um, with, the, with the Big Ten money, with the Under Armour money, right now Maryland financially isn't in the best spot because they've had to pay off so many coaches. Um, particularly with football, but they're getting to a point now where the facilities, everything is there. So it, it, it wouldn't be a down step to go to Maryland. And, and the best part was like people were responding to me. Oh yeah. It'd be better to go to Maryland where they have one national title since 2002. How many of Gonzaga have? Yeah, right, right, right. Zero. So it's, it's still one since 2002. It's still one more than Gonzaga's got. So, you know, whatever. You're not upset about it or anything. It's, it's, no, it's fine. No. No. Yeah, I'm with you. I saw I saw you would tweet out like Gonzaga people in my mentions. And then I went back to the tweet. and I'm like, oh, my God, people. It's like our buddy Worm with uh, the Syracuse San Diego State guy just ran with oh, and he God, wouldn't yeah. stop. So, uh, yeah, no. Um, so Mark Hughes, obviously at the top of your wish I mean, list. I didn't Reasonable. think it it's, he's number one on the wish list. It's probably a 10 minute phone conversation that ends with him saying, Gary, you know what? I appreciate that, but I'm, I'm staying here. Fine, sure. but you still, you make the call. You make but the call. on the reasonable list, is there a guy, um, you know, like there are 10 names floating out there, or is there a guy that's at the top of your list that if Maryland signed, you'll be like, yes, like that's, that's the guy. I mean, you're not going to like this, but like Nate Oates is in the conversation. Chris Holtman's in the conversation because both of those guys are, are in good spots right now at Bama and Ohio State respectively but they're always going to be second fiddle at those schools for football. So right. Maryland's a better job than both of those schools because basketball is number one at Maryland. So those are two guys that, again, they're in good situations now, but Maryland's probably a better situation. Um, you go Pacific Northwest with Altman. Is he done in Oregon? I don't know. Um, that could be a possibility. Uh, I like Kim English at George Mason. If you're going for a young up and coming guy, who's not going to cost you a ton so there's, there's names. I mean, again, this is this is a situation where, again, we're one of the top 15 or so jobs. It's not going to be hard to find names. Rick Pitino has probably got too much baggage, but would Rick Pitino be a bad hire? No, he'd be a terrific hire. Um, who else? Thad Mata is available. So, I mean, there's, there's guys. Yeah. I'm really curious to kind of just sit back, watch the rest of the season play out. It's going to be a terrible rest of the season. They'll be lucky to be 500. They're not making the tournament. Um but they'll press reset in the off season. And there's plenty of guys, you know, uh, going back to, to a conversation we had off the air, just texting um, Archie's not a bad option. I mean, he was the hot up and comer just wasn't the right fit and situation um, at Indiana. That doesn't negate the resume he has and, and how strong of a coaching candidate he truly is just because it didn't work out. And we talk about the year Maryland could have had with Turgeon in the, um, tournament if not for covid indiana if i remember correctly was in line to be a two or three seed possibly that year as well and then everything turned sour afterwards and he got fired so in an alternate universe where we had that tournament first of all turge is probably still with a job because he would have gotten a big extension right then and there if they made a deep run or he would have been fired already if they got bounced early with that team um 
but the same goes for Archie there. Like it, we would have known more if that season played out. So uh, there's plenty of options. Plenty of options. I know it's still early in the season, but as of right now, do you think Purdue is the best team? Uh, I still think it's it's Duke and Gonzaga after seeing them play each other the way that game went. Mm. Talent and depth they both have. You know how college basketball is. You're not going to go undefeated. You're yeah. going to lose. You're going to fumble somewhere along the way. Um, Gonzaga did it twice to, to Duke and then to Bama, which the Bama one was a lot worse than the Duke one. Um, but they're probably going to go on a run now and, and maybe not lose a game the rest of the season. So you look to those two teams. That was truly, it seemed like a Final Four preview when they played each other. Um, going on the road to Ohio State was not easy for Duke. That's a loss that, that they kind of grow from. But those, to me, were still the two most talented, best teams. I haven't actually, to be honest, had a chance to watch Purdue play an entire game. I've caught bits and pieces, mm-hmm. and they are deep. And I, remember I saw them in person um, two years ago before the pandemic, and I remember saying to myself, like, give it a couple of years and this team has the makings and, and they've stuck to that and they have continued to improve and watch them on TV last year. You knew that this year would be their big year. And again, they've, they've followed that up and lived up to it. So I wouldn't say they're number one, but they're certainly worthy of, of being talked about among the contenders. Fair enough. Uh, I'm with you. I think, I think Duke is, is the best team. I think in is they're, they're the two best still. Purdue, they're really talented, and they probably have the best point guard in the country and one of the top three big men, which is a damn good uh, combo to have. Um, it's just the other guys. You know, like Illinois had Desumu and Coffee last year, but you need other guys. So we'll see as the season goes on. They've looked great to start. Duke and Gonzaga has had some stumbles along the way, but it all matters how you're playing headed into March. So we'll see what happens. Trivia time, Joe, before we – head out you are up by four 28 to 24 for, for the struggles that i've had with best bets recently i have not struggled in trivia you have not and i took that upon myself to make it a question for you okay so i uh i gave you one heisman trophy related so alabama is gonna win uh their fourth heisman trophy when bryce wins it on saturday but there are six schools that currently have had exactly three players win the Heisman Trophy. I need you to name me three of them. Exactly three. Correct. Not less, not more. Exactly three. There are There's six schools. Six. Yes. Is, is, well, let me ask you this before I start. Is, is there any school that has more than three? Or is there, three most? No, there are three schools that have seven. Okay. There's one that has six and two that have four. But the the schools that have seven are easy. They're like big programs. Right, right. These are like solid programs, but uh, see what you can do. Bama? Um. So, no, Bama, well, Bama does have three. I'm not counting oh, okay. it down. So, I'll just wash, wash, wash that off. Yeah, so the other the other six. Okay, I got you. I'm sorry. No, um. See this like so so I'm thinking like the Notre Dames and the USC's probably have a lot. Um, I know the service academies back in the day like they had their guys who won. Um, I'll say Army. Yes, Army. <laughs> hey. Of um, all the six, I did not think you'd get them. 
my mind's just there because the Army and Navy game yeah, this week. Amazing. I know, like back in the day, I remember like you you watched the Express, the Army Davis story, that movie, like, and it's just Army guys who were there. Um, Five more. Fifty seconds. Three exactly. Michigan. Yes. That was a total shot in the dark. I mean, this is just again, I, like the only two that I'm pretty sure have more than three would be USC and Notre Dame. Um. You got three guesses left, and you got four schools to get. Uh, Steve Young. 30 seconds. BYU? Not BYU. Oh. I only had Detmer. I thought they might have had Young. Um, all right. Um, Florida State? Was Jameis the third yes, guy? Yes, Florida State. Joe got it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to get it in time. Jesus. No, you got it. You got three. You oh, oh, oh. Three. You All got right. it. There you go. Good. I thought it was. I thought you said four. So yeah, I was like, no, I don't no, know no. if I'm going to get a fourth and three, five. Three, three, three. Auburn uh, was another one. Florida was another one, and Nebraska was another one, and then you got Michigan, Florida State, and Army. I would have had no shot. Army. Right. If you would have asked me that question any other week of the year, that Army Navy was not being played in four or five days, would not have gotten that. Um, Florida State. Again, just wanted to think of programs who were like, I've been good, but I've had bad stretches. Um, Joseph so. Malfa. Wow. <laughs> that was well done. I, I would have not gotten the other ones. There's no shot. Well, and again, Michigan similar to Florida State where I'm like, all right, I only got Desmond Howard. Um, I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head who the other ones were. Charles Woodson. But- I don't know who the third is. That's what I'm saying. They're like, so I'm like, all right, I, I could, I could, I know they're a good program, but I can only name one off the top of my head. So maybe they happen to have a couple more. That was literally my only rationale. That is the luckiest trivia that I've ever gotten right. Don't think of me as smart for getting that trivia question no, right. No, Joe, um, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> all right, here, I got yours. Uh, I like this one's a little outside the box. I think you're going to like it. Um, so I was looking at last year's 14 playoff teams in the NFL. And I was looking at the current playoff picture after last night's game between the Patriots and the Bills. Mm. There are six teams, three in each conference, so six total, who are currently in the playoff picture who did not make the playoffs last year. Mm. Can you give me four of the six teams? Yes. Uh, Cardinals? Cardinals are correct. Um. Chargers? Correct. And Cincinnati? And Cincinnati. There's three. And uh, NFC. Was Dallas in it last year? Who won that division? Washington did. Dallas. There you go. There's four. If you want to give me the last couple, go for it. Yeah. Um, let's see. San Francisco? Yeah, they're the seventh seed right now. And you're missing the easiest one. In the AFC? Yeah. Oh, New England. Duh. Yeah, number one seed. <laughs> they didn't make it last year. New England. Yep. There you go. Nice. So you we yeah. went we went opposite of each other. I went one that I thought was kind of easy because you you know, I'm I'm opening the gap here. You went hard and I still somehow pulled that out of my ass. Yeah, and, I'm not I'm not happy about it. Next week, Joe <laughs> is gonna be like nineteen thirty leading scores in the NBA, all right? 
<laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, I will, I will never, ever get as lucky as I did with that question. Never. I mean, and you my, and again, army. I'm like, army, when I'm reading this all, army I'm like, me, I'm, I'm army, like, army to me was the easiest one. Army to me was the easiest one because I know back then the service academies had Heisman guys and they haven't had any since. For, for me, the two hard ones or any of the other ones, I would have not gotten any of the other ones that were there. Um, <laughs> it was just those two because I straight up said to myself, huh, good programs. I could name like one or two from those schools. Is there a third? And they happened to be right. And that was it. And that was, that was why I said BYU, because I'm like, all right, Detmer, I know. I thought Steve Young. Steve Young might not have even actually won one. I, I just, he just came to mind. Did they happen to have a third back when they used to have their prominent days? So I was like, all right. But no, strike. So we'll take well, it. Well done, sir. I, I mean, would have probably said LSU in there if I kept going. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that that was my thinking. Like I could I can I know that Joe Burrow won it. Yeah. Uh I know that they've had other guys in contention, but they're a good program. So maybe somewhere along the way. That's it. It was totally, totally luck. Well, well done, Joe. You are uh <laughs> killing it in trivia right now, sir. So it makes up for the best bets. I I got it this week. I, and you know what the frustrating part is like every week I'll make a list of like a dozen games that I like. I'll just go, I'll sit down at the beginning every week and I'll go through the list. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, these dozen, and I'm going to draw from there. If I gave you then like the, the games that I didn't use that made it to the cutting room floor, those games, the record is probably flipped. Those games have done so much better than the ones that I've actually picked and put in best bets. Um, and that's just how it goes. That's so. how it goes. That was honestly me last year. Like there were weeks where, you know, I have a certain amount of games, and the games I put on best bets don't hit. And then the other yeah. games, I'm like, oh, I'm doing great. Yes. Yeah. It's just, you know, it should just uh, every, be. Yeah. Every year I have a Twitter thread where I keep track of my games against the spread and straight up. And, like, to show you this year, like, also how much I'm just struggling with some of these spreads, whether it's hooks or whatever the case may be. Um, I started doing this in 2017, I think it was. I'm on pace to have my best ever year straight up uh as far as i the numbers will be different this year with the extra week but as far as winning percentage i'm on pace for my best ever straight up season i am on pace to tie my worst against the spread season even though i'm on pace for my best straight up season and just the the gap between the underdogs are getting you the the points yeah Yeah. That's, that's why the spread is that's that's the killer now Vegas is built. Now <laughs> Vegas how is built. built. That is how they're built. Well, Joe, it was nice seeing you again. Thanks again to Cole for joining us. That was a lot of fun. Episode 69. Sure to be a nice episode next oh, week yeah. when we record next, that we'll, one. We'll go up. We'll have our full bowl run through next week. That's for Gosh, sure. Can't wait, Joe. Yes, we're going to play the game where I'm going to just make up bowl game names and I'm going to read out real bowls and you're going to have to figure <laughs> out what the real ones are. All right. Love it. Let's do it. Sounds good. All <laughs> that right, could so- be in place of trivia. That could be in place of trivia next week. I got to I correctly identify five in the pool that are fake and real. <laughs> I, like that. I like that. Done. Good stuff. Love it. Love it.